I'm Commander Shepard, and Normandy FM is my favorite show on the Citadel. Normandy FM. 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 Hello and welcome to another spectacular, wonderful, magical space wizard episode of Normandy FM. Can are, are we allowed to be space wizards? Is that like just a Destiny thing, or or does Mass Effect have space wizards? I mean, if you want to get like super technical now? about it, like a biotic could be considered a space wizard, depending on how they go about using that. Does that, that make stuff, us biotic, so... biotic gods? Right, at least biotic mages. Yes. It's it's <laughs> magic of some kind. Yes. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I am Eric Van Allen, one of your co-hosts with Norm DFM, alongside Kenneth Shepard. And that third mysterious voice you hear is none other than Leanna Rupert. Did I get it right? You got it right. Getting... <laughs> yes. <laughs> Chalk it up, folks. One on the board. One for, what is it, Ken? Twelve at this point? Something like that. <laughs> Uh, we have Leanna here to talk all things Liam. Did you pick that just because of the little, like, the alliteration there? Was it just, like, a happy coincidence, or...? You know, it's a happy coincidence, but I am totally cool with claiming that. Like, yes, I am that smart and intelligent (laughs) for going. (laughs) I totally did that on purpose. Yeah, yes, totally, totally did that on purpose. Not at all all incidental. (laughs) Everything we do is Ken's plan. Especially when things go wrong, it's Ken's fault. Do not blame me. <laughs> for my lack of preparation. Which I am very prepared for this week's episode, by the way, because Ken did not inform me the amount of preparation that was needed for this week's episode. And I got to lovingly figure that out as we were playing. But before we get to that, before we get to my first of many grievances, Ken... <laughs> uh, Leanna, tell us a little bit about yourself and then also why you wanted to talk about Liam on the Liam episode, because this was a character that you highlighted pretty specifically, if I recall correctly. Yeah, um, well, I've been a journalist, I've been writing for about 15 years now, and actually we uh, resurrected Prima Games, which is pretty cool, uh, writing that as news, and Mass Effect has been pretty much... My go-to series, I've got 31 playthroughs of the trilogy, nine of Andromeda. Oh yeah, I am uh, I'm really obsessed. Like, I don't like, like things casually. I, I either don't mm. care or <laughs> I or go it full takes life. Over your life. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, no, I am. Um, Liam actually wasn't ever my romance option. I did romance him once and I didn't like his romance. But I really mm. liked him as a character. Like he he was mm. to me was the best bro you could ever have. And uh he was a really unique character because uh, you know the trilogy Andromeda everybody had these like heroic tales or tragic backstories or you know whatever and and Liam really was that guy you could see just going to the bar and having a couple beers with and he just seemed really human and I thought mm. that was a really nice touch in Andromeda. So yeah. 
One early thing I want to ask, because this was bothering me as I was playing the game. I'm playing as a female writer. Um, Leanna, I assume with so many playthroughs of this game, you have probably played as both male and female writer at some point. <laughs> but uh, Ken here is playing a male writer. Ken, I, I gotta ask you something. Mm. When you walk into Liam's room, is he always shirtless? He is! I would he... say at least half the time, yeah. Like, okay. Even if you're not, you know, hitting that. <laughs> you know, and it's just, I mean, I'm not complaining. Like, it's a nice thing to have. Well, so that, like, that was my thing. To... Hey, he's got those big titties. Pillowy man titties. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but he's, he's kind of... He needs to hit the abs a little bit more. He's not working on that enough. He's Eat, eat a sandwich, do some crunches. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, boy, boy, I can play a xylophone on that ribcage. But Ooh, okay. It's, <laughs> uh, it was it was weird to me because, and and Ken, you'll know because when we played Mass Effect One, we were sitting there looking at all the ways that Bioware clearly like put love interests in front of you, mm. and was like, "Hey, check this person out. Hang out with them. They are your coded love interest for this game." And so ever since, we've always been kind of like paranoid, like, "What's going right. on? What are you doing over here?" <laughs> uh, so that's at least heartening to know that. Him hanging out shirtless is just a total bro move and not no. uh, Bioware being like, hey, here's a shirtless dude. <laughs> That's what you wanted when you play Female Rider, right? Shirtless dude? We know how to write. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I actually don't feel like his romance was forced because it's not like in a trilogy you had yeah. Liara. And I feel like, yeah, I don't really feel like they... Liam, they it kind of was almost like a hidden secret. Like, obviously, it was it was obvious you could romance him, but there wasn't any push towards it whatsoever. Like, he even rejects you at first. Like, you you try to tap that, and he's like, no, nah, we're good. Like, I don't really feel that. And then you can obviously persuade him later. But I don't know. I feel like in this one, they really wanted you to bone Korra, or they really wanted mm. you to bone oh, yeah. Jal. And... That's why I was really bummed too, though, because he was Jawa originally was supposed to be a bisexual romance. And then they made him straight, and then they were like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> People actually wanted yeah. to to bone him a Scott. And, like flip that switch back, and we're like, "Okay," and that was all it was. Yeah, <laughs> they like... they pulled a Caden of uh, of Andromeda. Mm. He is Jawa is the Caden of Andromeda. But yeah, I, I, I like he, uh, Liam's was weird. Liam's at uh, people really stand hard for Liam as a romance. I just, I didn't feel it. I, he's such a cool character that I almost felt like the romance kind of cheapened that a little bit in a weird way. I don't know if that makes sense. I could see that. People are going to hate Leanna, me listening to this. <laughs> no, that's what I'm here for. I'm literally here to be the person with the most blazing hot takes. So that way, no matter who comes on, no matter what their take is, they will not sound as unreasonable as myself. Uh, <laughs> Good to that know. is my job on all podcasts is to deliver the scathing hot takes. Uh, I do want to ask real quickly, and have you played Fire Emblem Three Houses? I promise this is related to Mass Effect. I have. I, I have not beaten it yet, though. I, uh, okay. I had a lot of games thrown at me at once, but I have played it, and what I played I really liked. Which route are you going? I am going... What's the yellow one? Okay, you are doing Golden Deer. Yeah, this yeah. is good. This is good. <laughs> okay, you mentioned earlier that Korra is like thrust at you as a romance option, and that do you get the same vibe from Korra that you get from Leone? One hundred percent. Where it's like this person who who is really obsessed with your dad, and then suddenly turns into like a romance <laughs> option, but the romance option is like about how much you are like your dad, which is super it's, creepy. Yeah. 
yeah okay good i'm glad that i'm glad that we finally have someone on the podcast who understands the weirdness <laughs> of what was going on there it is weird i when i romance cora too that was that was that was one of the other ones i did, really didn't like <laughs> i was mm. like turns out romance difficult th- in video games apparently I'm, I'm looking forward to the to getting through to the vetra stuff i've not gotten through there yet but i think that's going to be my romance for this playthrough oh uh, vetra's amazing have you romanced reyes yet i think he's my favorite as a scott i oh. uh i well i've gone through certain aspects of that romance and then did like a hard right turn at the very end of it that involved gunfire but oh. that's like several episodes away from where we're at now but let's say i've gone through that romance and i dig it but I also I'm like I'm I'm a messy gay who lives for drama, so it ends in gunfire instead. So <laughs> touche, touche. Uh, so let's let's talk about Liam's loyalty mission a little bit because, as with all characters prior, we do have to kind of go through a little bit of a setup process here to get to the point where we get to do the actual loyalty mission. And we'll say setting up here. My thoughts about Liam going into this were definitely, okay, this guy's cool, he's a bro, he's hanging out, but what's going to make him different from every other character? What's going to make him stand out? Like, what is Liam's defining characteristic? And by the end of this, I feel like I got about 50% of the way there. And I think this is Mm. another, like, as we were talking about last weekend... I think this is maybe another sign, like another very clear sign that Andromeda was intended to be, or could even still be intended to be, a series and not just mm-hmm. a standalone game. Mm-hmm. Because it, this definitely feels like the start of something more for this character, and not quite a concise story for this character that like brings everything together and all that. But... The one thing you didn't tell me, Ken, was that I have to settle a damn planet before I do this freaking loyalty mission. He literally and wants I, the I mean, world. <laughs> I thought, yeah, I mean, Ken, I thought I made it You're a pathfinder. This is what you're supposed to be doing. No, it's not. It's I, I'm finding other pathfinders so they can do this open world bullshit, and I can go have all the fun on pirate ships. I thought this was like a very clear relationship that we set up here, and suddenly I have to go scan things on vold and run through thankfully here's the one thing i'll say while the first vault on eos was like way too long because it was a story mission and all that and it was just like okay we're going to another room we're having a little thing we talk we scan we move the one on vold was just so much shorter and so much better for it it was basically just one combat room and then you run away and then you hit the thing to go back up and you have done the vault vault and i was like cool i really hope the rest of the vaults are all like that (laughs) and not like Mm. eos which literally took me almost an hour to get through uh i think that sums up eos i feel like that's yeah that's that's that is very fair I ended up settling Kadara Port just because it was, you know, it is one of the things that we're going to be covering in the show. So I took all my notes for that and did all of the, those story missions that surrounded it. And so it just kind of like fell into place that that was like a very easy step for me to do to get to this point. Because like, you know, I was like, I want to do this. And, you know, by also by doing this, I'm going to move Liam forward a little bit. So. That, so. That is, maybe this is a good time to bring it up for our listeners before we get into Liam. 
and and maybe clarify for my own sake because I'm suddenly realizing the gravity of the task to which I have agreed to do here. Uh, are we planning on on talking about every single settling world? Are we planning to have all the worlds settled by the time we get to the final episode of the season? Um, the main two that I want us to touch on are Kadara and Elden because those are the ones that have like these really like defining <sighs> conflicts that are going on. So those two, I know for sure. I I don't know that we need to touch on the other ones for the sake of the show. So okay, okay, for the sake of the show, which means that I'm gonna end up having to do them anyways. But can we're not gonna talk about them on here? <laughs> I mean, you, you it's your prerogative to do whatever you want, fam. Ah. Uh, uh. <laughs> Shout out to our, all our loyal patrons who made this happen. <laughs> uh, they do it because they love to hear me suffer and then listen to Ken suffer through me suffering. Aww, because that's our dynamic. That's so on every sweet. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are so sweet. <laughs> uh, but once once yeah. we actually do our open world bullshit, we get to go start the Liam loyalty mission. Uh, it starts off almost like a romance because when he first pops the idea of hanging out the marketplace and stuff i was like oh okay liam like are we doing the date or something i didn't realize it was the thing to start i thought it was just some random like oh this is what i do if i trigger his romance like this is where i should go but we show up at the angara market and we get told to to go walk around and scan some stuff and then quickly find out that uh we should maybe not do it that's probably not a good idea to do uh and we we find out that liam has kind of been taking say taking initiative a little bit and trying to set up some uh trade routes in some ways to get talking with the angarans to get supplies information that sort of thing uh and immediately after we do this uh we we can finally end back on the ship and he's freaking out. He's saying he screwed up and his contact's been taken. And I wanted to just kind of get that stuff out of the way because from the outset, you know, what we know of Liam up to this point is that he's very much casual, laid-back guy, a little bit homesick. You know, he has the thing about sending the the old junker, the old uh, the car across. Which is really sweet. Of, which is a really nice little bit. But uh, up to this point, we haven't really seen how he works in in terms of the Andromeda initiative and from the outset like in this loyalty mission he's basically portrayed as a headstrong anxious mess which is the biggest extremely move. relatable <laughs> yeah <laughs> it's it's a lot um and so he basically wants he's getting tired of sitting around and doing nothing and waiting on bureaucracy and all this stuff that he feels like isn't going to happen because the other aspect of this that you kind of get from the car that's being launched across space is that there are a lot of people who are realizing that the success they're creating now is not going to be seen in their lifetimes. You know, they're not going mm-hmm. to ever see the fruits of their labor. They're probably going to die still trying to colonize Andromeda. And for Liam, it feels like that immediately just turns him into an anxious wreck because he wants results now. He wants to do things. He wants to help people. He doesn't like the idea of waiting around. And that then turns into him doing some really dumb stuff. (laughs) So, uh, Leanna, like, what were kind of your thoughts? I mean, I know you've played this game so many times, it's probably hard to, to, like, think back on it. But uh, what were kind of your thoughts on Liam, like, 
going into this stuff like your initial first impressions of him uh you, you kind of hit it nail on the head there with saying like the anxious mess being super relatable um i think that's why i, I like the character so much like my first knee-jerk mm-hmm. reaction is i really liked him because he he is he's like us in college like that's kind of no. of, of <laughs> not really realizing that everything has a timetable and you know mm-hmm. small actions will pay off but you have to be patient and he has that he's just very youthful in that way that I liked because I was like, oh, yeah, I remember being that dumb. And then, but like, it's not real life. So it's not like actual real life percussion repercussions. But yeah, I to me, I kind of that was my first impression of him even before the starting this loyalty mission was that he was a little bit too starry eyed. And mm. I could see I was trying to because I was prior military in real life. So like for me, I'm always thinking mm. about how would this situation or how does this personality type affect if we were in a really precarious situation and i remember my first impression of him was shit there's going to be something in his storyline that's going to put writer in danger or put the mission in Mm -hmm. danger because he's going to be thinking with his heart and his dreamer attitude and not realistically and that's really what we saw with his loyalty mission was like you said he wants the results now and instead of thinking of all you know all the way through thinking of the different ways it could go wrong it could go ass up he was just like no, we're going to do this because it's me, 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 me. And he, he had the dreams, but he didn't have the maturity to see what was doable um, and didn't have the trust in his team to to reach out and not try to do everything on his own and kind of mouth off about things he didn't understand, if that makes sense. Yeah. It's, it sounds like I don't like him. I do. I really do. I just it, he, he just reads as a very young character. Yeah. It's, for me to sound like an old, old, old person of all oh, the youth today, like, <laughs> and it, it, it's interesting because like it, most of the people like in the original trilogy were like that was a very military. Even like the younger type characters that were like Tally, they had that sense of like maturity to them. So like Liam is like a like I think we described in a couple episodes like this this nice puppy that's on the ship that is just like yep. really happy to be there and like also doesn't realize that if he wags his tail too hard he's gonna knock over a vase. Like I. I appreciate, like, he's very much a breath of fresh air in that way. It's just, like, it is nice to have someone who is not brooding about just, like, how wrong this could possibly go. Yes. No, that's, I agree completely. I That's actually one of my biggest defenses of Andromeda when talking to people. Um, and, and with Ryder, too, is you, you had Commander Shepard as this larger-than-life military personality. No matter what mm. path you chose for Shepard, it was still a military hero. And Ryder, what people don't realize that kind of shamelessly hate on it is writers not meant to be military uh, they never right. thought they were going to be a pathfinder that wasn't in the cards that wasn't you know they had their twin they that it was they were just a kid going on a life-saving yep. trip with his dad and and um so like when a lot of the responses including with liam like when he tries to or writer tries to flirt with liam it's very awkward and and i like that because it's yep. relatable in a lot of ways that though shepherd was very inspiring wasn't relatable a whole right. lot unless you were in that that military experience right mm-hmm. it's it's interesting kind of you bring up the the puppy analogy again because not only is it very very good and i love imagining liam the puppy but also <laughs> like what do you do when the dog knocks over the vase because the the kind of end of this prelude to the actual loyalty mission itself is that you find out that uh, the reason why Liam's this worried, why Liam's this freaked out, is because he had been sending Nexus data to his Angaran contact, and it could be things that could compromise the initiative as a whole. 
if the if the contact was interrogated and gave up the data and you you're kind of given an option about how you're going to react to this whether you're going to kind of be like oh it's okay we'll take care of it or whether you're going to be like you fucked up dude like this is bad right and i i'm interested in hearing how uh ken you reacted to it because my reaction was to be pretty stern about it because i was like no this is bad <laughs> like yeah. why did you do that that was dumb yeah like i in my past playthroughs i've been it's like i i've always like played my writer as kind of like you know the, the less responsible kind of character for a long time but just because of the order in which i played things uh this playthrough my mindset was like a little bit shifted and i was more like you know, more worried about the future of the initiative and, like, the things that... Like, the roots that I am trying to put down here and to see somebody that is so unwilling to kind of, like, be patient and take the time necessary to let diplomacy work itself out. That was when I was I was finally kind of like, no, like, if this goes wrong, it's on you. Like, you can't just be, you know, like, giving up fucking secrets to people that, like, I don't know them and, like, you know them clearly, like, you trust them. But, like, this isn't, like, through official initiative channels. Like, like I don't even know who this person is. And you're, like, mm-hmm. giving this very valuable information up. So, yeah, this time I was a lot more stern about it. How do you get access to that info, too? Like, does he just, like, does he just have access to this stuff? Is, is Ryder's, does Ryder have two-factor authentication turned <laughs> on? I'm a little concerned about security aboard the Tempest right now. <laughs> I guess, it's, like, if you're on the Pathfinder team, you probably got more access than most people, I would assume. Mm. clearly that is not a good thing clearly not <laughs> but we can address that at a later time uh first we gotta go save some people from a pirate ship because naturally we 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 show up to where the location is and uh we find a bunch of scattered you know destroyed remnants of other ships and stuff like that so we can obviously gather that they are pirates and liam then comes up with a great idea which kind of kicks off really the theme of this whole mission which is this is one guardians of the galaxy ass mission mm-hmm. right here <laughs> mm-hmm. um so just just for context my team for this mission when i played it was obviously Ryder and liam and then i picked um oh god i'm gonna say it wrong because i always want to say drax but it's drac drac yeah drac yeah well, i always want to yeah i always want to say drax because obviously like guardians of the galaxy is on my mind um but Drac was was my third, and this mission is kind of perfect if you bring Drac because he just ends up playing that Drax kind of role right. to the team. And the shot of when it when it cuts to them in the darkness with just their suits being lit up, and you kind of realize like, oh, they floated themselves out in a box. And the idea is that the the pirates are going to come by and take the box, and then that's how we get aboard the ship is kind of great. It's like a really good reveal, made only better by the fact that once you get out of the box, you realize you're on a catch. <laughs> and it's it, it starts off this whole like tone that again, you know, we, we talked last week about Korra's mission being really weird in its pacing and tone because uh, it doesn't really feel like it's about the character specifically until very specific right, moments. Right. And again, we kind of get that here with Liam where you're going like, this could have been anybody's mission, but 
you know, and there are a few moments where he gets a, a little bit of character development where you get to be reminded, like, hey, this is what's going on in Liam's head right now. But overall, the tone just fits him so well. And also, right. like, we talked about with Sidel how Bioware was gradually adding more and more of this, like, physical comedy, this mm. actual comedic timing, because they weren't just having these, like, weird talking heads talking to each other. They could do a lot more with the engine, so they were finding ways to have a little bit more fun with it. And even this opening section where you literally reenact the scene from Star Wars Episode Four, <laughs> where they're dressed up as stormtroopers... And they're going like, uh, everything is under control, just weapon malfunction, uh, how are you? And like, it's literally <laughs> the same exchange from Star Wars. And I, part of me was like, I don't know about this, this is a little on the nose and stuff, but maybe it's just because my sensitivity is so low since playing Borderlands. But I was like, wow, this is actually like pretty well done, and this is pretty funny. I'm like Borderlands. So, um, Shade. <laughs> so, look, I'm just, I'm not, that is the coldest take I could deliver. Spicy, spicy, spicy. Who, who out here is still like Borderlands is funny? <laughs> Come on. Unless they're 12. Uh, I don't know, even 12 year olds are like, I have a more discerning palette than this. <laughs> uh, Ken, Ken, how about you? Like, how, how are you feeling like the tone of this mission? I like it a lot. Like, it... Because, like... Like you said, like, they didn't really get to the point where they were doing a lot of things that were, like, in this sort of tone until, like, Citadel, which was, you know, the very, very last thing they put out for the trilogy. So to have, like... And, you know, there are going to be even other points in this in this game that they're going to be, like, very hammed up, MCU-style, kind of, like, snappy, humorous bits... And it's really effective, too. Like, I love the part where, like, you walk... Like, Liam's, like, trying to guide everybody into the next room. He opens the door, and then there's a massive turret. He immediately shuts the door and says, not that way. And it's just, like... You, like and it, it, from, you know, playing all these games for the shows, like... It's it's nice to see the way that they were able to deliver upon humor in a way that they clearly couldn't have done, like, ten years prior on the original Mass Effect. Yeah, it's, it's really... Like, Leanna, we haven't had... You on here to talk about any of this, but like, how do you feel about Bioware humor in general? Especially with like, at this point, we've had Andromeda, which has moments like this, and then also like Dragon Age Inquisition, which also had a lot of like really good, funny, slapsticky moments where they did a little bit more physical comedy than they could earlier on in the series. For me, I really like. I don't know. I I really like Bioware's humor. Um, I know it's mm. kind of popular right now to to hate on Bioware, but I that's one thing that they've always nailed. Um, I think the trilogy probably did it the best out of all of their franchises, yeah. uh, just because it was the pacing was fine. It wasn't just these random bursts of of humor, and uh, unless you went full Renegade, then it was. <laughs> really oddly out of place mm-hmm. um <laughs> but yeah no andromeda to me andromeda was freaking hilarious that's one of the most underrated properties of andromeda because like again because the awkward right. writer you know the awkwardness was hilarious especially when they try to flirt and just the just the mm-hmm. overall feeling of loss that and this mission i'm like you like i i died laughing when the the door opened and they're like not this way yeah. <laughs> and, and everybody just yeah. did like a complete right turn but uh, 
no, no, I really, I thought it was fun. You know, when you go in, especially when you replay a game, you always have those missions that you're like, oh, crap, I forgot how much I hated this mission. And then you always have those ones that kind of push you through those pro- that playthrough because you're so looking forward to it. And I think Liam's mission was was that mission for me where, like, I could get through this you know, EOS that I didn't really like that much. And I could get through that because I knew eventually it would get me to Liam's mission, which is like thoroughly like since the moment you land even with the existential crisis it's still red is really really organically funny and then you have that like corny like romance moment even if you're not romancing i like that you could do it as it, whether you're scott or or a female writer is that that moment where you're you're having a issue uh, and you're uh, in a dangerous situation and and you can hold on and you and there's a point where he's like hold me or hold me Liam and yeah. and the squad is like what the hell like the squad is just like I just want to kill you yeah. like why can't I slap you right now and that just whether you're if you're yeah. romancing him that's a cool organic moment if you're not that's just such a hilarious like that that kind of reinstates that feeling that he's just a total bro if you can yeah say stuff like that and it's and it's funny and no matter what how bad the situation is you still kind of have that levity and yeah mm. cherished moment man <laughs> yeah yeah i mean that's the other aspect of it is that it feels like so much of this mission is built to give you those funny moments like you have this comically angry angaran pirate who is just <laughs> always showing up and being like, ha, ah, you'll never do anything, and that gives you the interrupt to just, like, shoot the console or turn it off or whatever to, to cut him off mid-sentence and all that. You have moments where you're being, like like you said, you know, we're trying to advance through the ship, and then all of a sudden he tries to space us by opening up the, the dock, and we're dangling, and, it, you know, in any other situation it'd be like, Joker, get us an evac, or something like that, or somebody hack into the systems, but for Ryder it's like, Oh, hold me, Liam. <laughs> hold <laughs> uh, and that's maybe something we haven't talked about as much that I'm now thinking about is, like, the idea that Ryder is this, like, very much... I, we've talked about it in terms of comparisons to Shepard, that uh, Ryder is very much not Shepard. You know, Shepard was, like we mentioned before, military background, very... Whether you were Paragon or Renegade, always very stoic, always very composed. You know, there would be a couple laugh lines, but it would not be this complete mess of a person that Ryder is, which honestly, like I, I enjoy Shepard for one reason. I enjoy Ryder for another, but that's been a major thing in this playthrough that I'm going through. And I'm like, Ryder is way more interesting of a character than I ever remember them being the first time I played this game. And Uh, it's been one of the things I've been enjoying a lot is that like, it feels like a much more modern protagonist in some ways. It's not this like, action hero with clever lines it's this bumbling mess of a person who is just insanely relatable and charismatic and charming and endearing like the the one thing uh, i like is is like you know how like the zombie games like people are like oh yeah mm-hmm. i play a lot of zombie games i'm totally ready for the apocalypse and the big joke is like yeah you would be like the first one to die I, I yeah. feel like that's the comparison with Andromeda and the trilogy is everybody is like, oh, if you could pick any mass or universe, what would you want to be? And people say Mass Effect. And when they say that, they picture themselves in the role of shepherd, of hardened warrior and, you know, the beacon of light for hope and, and freedom and whatever. And when in actuality, if we were in that universe, we would be the writers. We would be the one <laughs> right. as we go to a world to be like, yo, if this do- if this goes ass up, like – don't take pictures or whatever like yeah. that that would be the realistic 
of if we were in that universe, that's we would all be the writers. We wouldn't be the shepherds. The <laughs> Addison comes up after we settle a world, and they're like, "Would you like to say something for the record?" And you just like dab <laughs> walk out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man>. Yeet! <laughs> I'm gonna eat this vault. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. <laughs> uh. Oh god, this is already off to a great start. <laughs> um, so as we move further into the ship, and we're trying to get closer to angry Angaran pirate, uh, we're already having these moments where Liam is just starting to become the other anxious mess on the on the trip, and you know he's saying everything's going wrong, but he he has a really good moment where he's saying like. Yes, things have gone wrong, but they can keep getting... It's like they can keep getting better. Like, he's basically like, there's no... We don't have any control over it. We just have to keep hoping that we're doing the right thing and eventually it will go right. Like, there's something really... That I really ended up liking about Liam's attitude of just... There is no way that we can change the things that have already gone wrong. So we just need to keep rolling with it. Because we're still alive and we're still going. And, like... We obviously we have the the folks from EOS fly in with their engineer ships and start doing all this crazy stuff. And this is the part of the game where I, I was just really impressed with what Bioware was doing with the environment they had because the ship is not yeah. very large, but the way they keep flipping it over and over again to create these new arenas and spaces that you already understand was really cool because all of a sudden now you're looking at the top side of a ship with all these crates and wreckage scattered everywhere and you're having to think of it like a combat arena when it was not initially designed to be that thing and not only is that an interesting thing from a player perspective like a new challenge in terms of how you take cover how you advance through an area and all that kind of stuff but it's also just a different way of looking at a small space and reusing it and and trying Mm. to just you know they're they're using every part of the 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 design space that they can and it was a really mm-hmm. cool way of doing that um, and it is it is like one of the only well not one of the only but it's like one of the points where they can use a more contained area to actually kind of like double down on like the kind of the platforming elements of this game because like you're you know everything's shifting around but you have to like find some way to traverse the room from one side to the other while it, while all like the floor is not where it's supposed to be and so you gotta like jump onto loot boxes and other like things that are not supposed to be where they are and it's just, like it's like you said it's just a very interesting way of like reframing something and also like taking advantage of the ways in which like that verticality is there which were where it used to not be yeah i know Poe. it is an interesting <laughs> way they've got feelings <laughs> uh and and as we go through this space, we also get like interesting insight into. I, I can't remember his name, and I really don't want to because I really just like picturing him as the angry Angaran dude that just keeps yelling at you through monitors and stuff. He's that's, way that's too fine. We can call him that. Cool, <laughs> Mister Mister Angry Pants keeps like <laughs> we get more logs that give us more info about this, and we we find out that not only does he have the Angaran contact and prisoners there, but he also has initiative prisoners. So he's been kidnapping people for his pirate ship. And we get the sense of this guy who has, he's been spurned and he has grand ambitions. He's going to show everybody one day, but he is just also a chaotic mess through and through that cannot get anything right. And he's almost like the evil version of Liam. Like if Liam was a villain, 
that's who this character would be. And so I like him as a foil to this whole mission because mm. it's it's kind of it kind of just turns it into this mess of like who's going to like fall ass backwards into walking out of this alive almost. <laughs> like so many things <laughs> just go terribly wrong everywhere. Um and and we fight we fight through a bunch of places and and we eventually get to the point where we get uh we we take out some robots and we get our our contact out and our our initiative settlers out and we've got to go fight uh mr mr angry himself and i mean he he throws everything at us and this is one of like the hardest i feel combat portions we've had so Mm. far because i've talked about how annoying the uh the the lovely lovely space magic wizards of the ket are <laughs> with their damn rotating orbs and annoyingness <laughs> um they are really annoying yeah, and very I, needlessly I, I so like... <laughs> thank you thank you for being here thank I'm you here to help God. uh but this whole this whole section where we are gradually taking down uh pieces of the the bad guy's shield to eventually harm him and we're dealing with his giant pet monster and these like legions of different enemies is i mean we're just fighting huge amounts of enemies and it's a lot of enemies that don't care whether you're behind cover or not because you know it's the it's the little wolves it's the little like angry alien dog things i think it i think when they're on the angaran side they're called wraiths I, i believe is what they're called but uh, I just like to call them angry, angry puppos, angry little puppers, <laughs> um, big old puppers, doggos, and and then the really big pupper, which is the I always want to call him an Elcor because I think he looks like an Elcor. Like if you <laughs> if if an Elcor went through the Ket transformation thing, that's what it would look like. But uh, the the big guys, well, don't care about you using cover. And so they're just going to flush you out every time. And so you end up doing this like wild run around while you're trying to throw together biotic combos and, and try and survive. And it's this really cool section of combat, but it's also just like the most fitting because it is a chaotic mess of, there is no strategy to this. There is no, (laughs) there is no attempt to play this strategically. This dude just flipped on his like, his backup plan, his trump card, and was like, I don't know, open all the doors, everybody run at them, they can't kill all of us. <laughs> did they, it, it would only have been better if they naruto run it, like, did the Area 51 yeah, strategy. Naruto <laughs> run at Ryder. It's the hot new meme that all the kids Mass are Mass Effect is a in the future. Yes. But, and so, so Ken, from like a gameplay perspective, playing through this, what do you think of it? It was kind of, like, I mean, from a person that still plays basically like close combat vanguard style it is because like and in the midst of all of this chaos you are like standing on objectives and sam's doing his magic hacking so like that was like like i had to you know do my shift in thinking and like kind of not fight the way that i'm used to but also i just like that it kind of like gave this last fight sort of, like, it was this nice way to, like, cap off the mission with something that was, like, exciting and difficult and really threw everything that Andromeda is capable of in terms of, like, combat design at you at once. And it was nice that, like, the whole time the Angry Angara was just yelling, like, mad the whole time. <laughs> uh, Leanna, we haven't... 
obviously, so I myself, I this is my first time playing through the game as a whole. I, I think we are at this point past where I had played up to because I think uh, we we previously established that Kadara Port was where I jumped off at the first time around. So this is my first time through the game, and I'm now at stuff that I've never played before. Uh, Ken, this is your second or third time through Andromeda. Fifth time. Fifth time. Yeah. Okay, never mind. Maybe, but. We have our resident here. We have the most Andromeda playtime here. And so I, I'm kind of interested in hearing, like, what were your thoughts on combat in this game in general? I mean, you're you're someone who I imagine has now experimented with like, all the builds, all the different ways that you can play, all the different profiles that you could set up as Rider. And, like, how do you feel about the combat in this game, especially since it's so different from the trilogy in, in big and small ways? Okay, so it's been a little bit since I've played, so I don't know the exact class names. It's been a while since I've played. I don't know the exact class <laughs> names either, and I played this on, like, two days ago. So. <laughs> but I will say that um, if you were to tell me, like, I love these types of games. I love shooters, for one, and then I love just, I love open world games. So Mass Effect Andromeda is pretty much my ideal game when you look at just, like, the overall outline. This, if you were to tell me to make my dream game combat-wise, Andromeda was it. Like, it was Mm. so fluid, and it was so... Every Mm. small fetch quest felt really rewarding, because to be able... Especially, like, I love sniping. Like, that's... In any game, if there's an option to have a sniper rifle, I'm doing it. And so, like, to be able to, like, thrust up into the air, and then stay there, and line up your shot... Like, I was like, dude, like... Yep. He's in a totally different galaxy, but like Garrus would be super proud of me right now, and, yeah. <laughs> and it was—I don't know—it was—it was very satisfying. And I, even I think even people that just could not stand Andromeda, I don't think—I think if anybody were to say the combat in Andromeda was bad, you're needlessly salty and you need to hydrate because like there, it was so <laughs> beautiful. It was fluid. It, it gave player total freedom, which is kind of rare in a lot of games. And that was something that yeah. Mass Effect Trilogy really limited to. Like, yes, you could choose your classes, but they were, you didn't really have, you know, you, you had to vault when you needed a vault. You had to cover when they told you to cover. You you couldn't jump. You couldn't do any of that versus right. if you wanted to, like, freaking hop, skip and whatever, you, you can. Like, there's total player freedom, which, again, made it more realistic to me. Like, it it made you mm. feel like you were a little bit more immersed because you could control the pacing. And, yeah, no, I think that that yeah. one thing is, is beyond the shadow of the doubt for me, at least, is, is perfect. And I honestly could not tell them to fix anything with it because, to me, it was perfect. And with this mission, I really liked it, too, like you guys were saying, is it was such a suspenseful build. Like, you go in and you think you're immediately going to go into a firefight. You're not. So, like, then you kind of have, like, this, oh, shit, like, what are we waiting for? And there's just the build up, And then just for it to just go into pure chaos, it was mm. really satisfying. <laughs> I don't – I just I, – I really I, – they did a really good job with it. I really – I think that if they do – we know another Mass Effect is coming. I interviewed Mike Gamble uh, not too long ago, actually, and, and he did – say again um that it was happening oh man can i break for a second and give you guys like the most embarrassing story <laughs> of course sure. what do you think this podcast oh my god <laughs> okay so um for anybody just now tuning in for some reason um i'm a journalist and i've you know comic book prima game spot everywhere i've i've been in and um 
So we last year, oh, was it this year? No, it was last year. Last year at E3, they had the cyberpunk. Um, then it was the first time cyberpunk did anything. So it was very like, Mm -hmm. I had the appointment and I didn't even know what the appointment was for. Like they wouldn't tell me. And how it was, it was, it was four of us in a group. Everybody was kind of grouped up. It was a very limited space. Like it was very, it was very, very, it wasn't like PAX. It wasn't like E3 this year. Like it was very limited and it was four of us and it was two EA execs and my husband and myself and my husband, when I, we were all kind of sitting having drinks, waiting for the showcase to start, you know, everybody introduced themselves and they were like, da-da-da, yay, da-da-da, yay. And my husband like grabs my arm and he goes, no, don't say anything. Don't, Lena, don't say anything. Just be, just be <laughs> nice. Because this was like fresh off of Andromeda, like fresh off they, they, mm-hmm. they confirmed that the support was done and we're getting books instead of actual DLC, which by the way, I can... 100% confirmed to you that there was three DLC installments planned uh, and it wasn't until false yes. reporting because at that point there was nothing internal happening that it was kind of self-fulfilling prophecy. But that's another thing that I can't talk about. But um, so we were there <laughs> and it was two, I can't remember their names, but so we're having this conversation and every time it started to kind like it was kind of veering towards Bioware, like he would pinch me, like she would pinch me. And so we were like, it got to this point where like I had nothing else to say. So it, it kind of lulled into this really awkward silence. And it was like, I think a solid minute, a minute and a half where there was nothing being said. And then all of a sudden I was like, what the fuck happened with Mass Effect? And he goes, excuse me? And I was like, I'm sorry, man. But like Andromeda, what the hell? He's like, I'm sorry. And I was like, are, are you at least going to like revisit this? Like, why? Why? Why would you do this? <laughs> I was like, you gave a studio nothing and expected them to give you the world. Like, that's fucked up. And he just like, the guy, I could tell one of the, the, the guy on the left was like upset. Like, he was like, I'm about to walk away, which understandable. I was super unprofessional. And the other guy was just so flabbergasted because <laughs> it was so polite and nice up until that point. And he goes, I don't know what you want me to tell you. And actually, a lot of people, I worked at comicbook.com at the time, and a lot of people, because I ended up writing a story about it, and a lot of people quoted this, but like, I asked, I was like, can you, he's like, what do you want me to tell you? I don't understand what you want from me. And I was like, give me something. Is it done? Or are you guys going to revisit it? Like, and if you don't revisit it, do you realize how stupid that is? <laughs> and, and he goes, God bless. <laughs> Asking the questions. Asking the questions. And he was like, yes, we are going back to Mass Effect. And, you know, he was like, um, it's going to be a couple years. There's a, a couple of projects at the, uh, that are in the works that we haven't confirmed yet. Um, so I do know after Dragon Age, there's one more project that has not been announced that, um, mm. that they're going to focus on. And then after that, they're going to go back to Mass Effect. And then when I interviewed Mike Gamble a couple of months ago, he, I asked him, will it be a continuation of Shepard? Will it be Andromeda? And he didn't outright say no Andromeda, but the pause and the way he framed his answer was like pretty much like we can kind of consider Andromeda done, which is oh, heartbreaking fuck. because I, I, what you said earlier, if it felt like there was, it was definitely set up for a continuation. Absolutely. I'm sorry for the cuss words. I hope I should have probably cleared oh, that. Yeah. I, I, I cussed like ten minutes into this. We're good. Okay, yeah. good. Um, but yeah, so like it, 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 especially if you romance Reyes, there's a big gap with what happens with Reyes that it's very obvious that there was going to be a backstory, whether it was a, a DLC or going to be heavily explored in the next game. It was very obvious that there was a big chunk that we were about to learn, 
And then, of course, like the Korean arc and stuff. Um, so mm-hmm. it, it just sucks because if it didn't get the backlash it did, we would have gotten the DLC. We would have gotten we would have been able to see how Koreans react in this new universe. And I just ah, OK, I'm sorry. Back to back to the point. I'm just so so many of failings. <laughs> Well, I mean, that's a good way to segue into it is that we, we end this mission and we end up kind of back on the Tempest and we're we're debriefing and, you know, we get a little bit of a thing with Bradley and Varand where they're talking about either we can hold them up, uh, you know, to say like, let's, let's, you know, do this properly or we can say just get everybody to where they need to go, which obviously like that's the choice I took. Um, mm-hmm. And... Because uh, you take the other choice, Liam gets pissed at you. Liam gets... What? Sorry? Liam gets, like, really pissed at you if you, like, hold people up. And oh, I think yeah. there's something, like, if you want to change some information or codes or whatever it is that she might know. And, yeah, it's, uh, mm. that's the whole thing. It's, um, but but then we get basically, you know, Liam going, okay, hey, I fucked up. You know, I messed up. I'm sorry. He goes through, like, all five stages right in front of us as we say basically nothing to him. And it's that perfect of, like what you're trying to say everything because you want to say the one thing that you think will magically make everything okay again like that that one just like specific character trait that i know i have where you're just like i need to say everything because then maybe i'll say the right thing (laughs) and um it was it was really endearing and, and we get this moment where we can either like you know kind of uh tell him off again or we can kind of let him down easy and just be like you know that was that was fun. That was all right. Like, don't obviously don't do it again. But, <laughs> Please, <laughs> you know, we we tried to get things done, and it's at this point that it really does feel like we kind of leave it open because that's like again with core it was the same thing where it's like that's where character development starts. Right? Is they have now acknowledged that they have a problem, and presumably in future games they would then work to improve themselves and work to maybe overcome those or find ways of making themselves better out of it like a good example is garris over the course of you know mass effect one two and three he's wrestling with his inner demons of wanting to be this sort of vigilante cop and see justice done while also not becoming a you know a bad person himself in in doing it and you don't see that whole arc happen in one game if you looked at garris in just mass effect one I think he wouldn't be a very memorable character compared to who he is by the end of Mass Effect 3. And you start to get that sense here with Andromeda, like, hey, here are these characters, they're really starting off on something. And so that's why it feels a little bit weird that, mm-hmm. as as we all pretty much know at this point, we're not seeing this galaxy again anytime soon. And that's like the weird, bittersweet note on all of this is that we we kind of know now given the benefit of hindsight that these plot threads won't get wrapped up in the near future and we have to just kind of take them where they are and deal with them and so in that respect i was a little disappointed by liam's overall arc but in the same sense it i'm sitting here like i would really like to see where this goes i like this character this mission was fun it ends in a great way with that like great line of like think that thing would survive a jump back to the nexus and then it just <laughs> explodes <laughs> and and it just cuts to both their faces being like oh. yeah <laughs> it's yeah. so and good they... and I'm... you you go again oh, i was gonna say like and you know the the following scene that like 
is sort of like his wrapping up scene like for a platonic relationship is like him having that sense of like I know what I need to be doing now and it's not like and how it needs to be different because what he ends up doing is he sets up a soccer game between some of the uh, people on EOS and some of the Angara there and he's like I need to stop trying to make these huge grand gestures of like trying to make these relationships ironclad right now when I can just do these small things and like just kind of slowly start building to you know making Andromeda home and mm-hmm. you know so like in Andromeda 2 would Liam have like maybe like become some kind of like ambassador but like between the Angara and the Initiative like where would that character have gone next it's like it is like you know the, the point that we leave every one of these loyalty missions on is like all we can do is theory craft like where where these characters could possibly go in five to seven to ten to fifteen years whatever it might be the thing i keep coming back to and the thing i keep thinking about is we played through mass effect one as at, at the very beginning of this whole effort we we played through mass effect one and i remember going back to mass effect one and being like i like so much of what this game is and i i have so many fond memories for for this game but it also like very clearly has problems you can really tell the parts that bioware identified and we're like we're going to polish this up we're going to smooth this out we're going to fix this up and then we're going to take the things that we know we did well these incredible set pieces this character writing the relationships that we have between the characters and we're just going to crank that all up to 11 and that resulted in mass effect 2 which is my favorite game in the series and one of my favorite games of all time (laughs) and uh seeing that through line and then seeing so much of Mass Effect 1 here in Andromeda, like so mm. much of that same spirit, like they were trying something new. There are systems here that just don't work. Like, God, please, Bioware, whatever game you make next, like just never use the whole weapon loot crafting system from Andromeda. It is way too much. It is unwieldy. Please never use this again. Just scrap it wholesale. <laughs> uh, but... It, it, the trade-off is that I can't stop thinking about what Andromeda 2 would look like and if it mm-hmm. would have that same amount of growth as Dude. Mass Effect 1 and Mass Effect Dude. 2. Dude, okay. Backtrack a little bit. So what you said about like Garrus in Mass Effect 1. Mm-hmm. Garrus is like my fa- my two favorite romances in the trilogy are Garrus with Femship or Caden with Maleship. And mm-hmm. Hell yeah. <laughs> Hell yeah. You're on the right yeah. podcast. Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I lo- like, I love those two characters so much, but I hated Garrus in Mass Effect 1. My, I remember my first play, now now when I play respectively, I love him. I'm like, ooh, Garrus mm. soon, boo-boo, like whatever. But yeah. like, I remember my first time ever playing Mass Effect 1, I was like, God, this is such a boring character. Like, oh, we get it. You don't like authority. Mm. Wah, wah, wah. And I, I remember just being really fucking annoyed and it did like you said it took to mass effect 2 where then he's suddenly everybody's favorite like everybody loved garris after mass effect 2 like he was the fan favorite that nobody could stop talking about and that is exactly what they set up with mass effect andromeda was it was meant to be that's why you didn't even get reyes and jal until like halfway through the game 
as you were they were planning on having a lot of time getting to know these characters and mm-hmm. and they wanted to flesh it out they wanted to have that same character development Garrus didn't see gar- character development to the second one I have a feeling that that's how Liam would have been like you said and and Reyes too if you romance him Reyes is very adorable at the end like in the ending like he mm-hmm. is like the proud like he would be the one that said would, that would wear the matching shirts that says if lost return to Reyes and he would be like I'm Reyes like he's that <laughs> boo and and I just I feel like it wasn't given a chance and and I and it really really aggravates me because people compare Andromeda to the trilogy it's like that's not fair you, that's three mm-hmm. games of development and three games mm-hmm. of, right. of of a shit ton of content that's that's really stupid to compare one game to three games and thinking that the three games is a combined package because it wasn't. And on the note of what you said about Andromeda, this is my ranting. Sorry, everybody. But like, no, it's all good. It's this all is good. like what no. you said about <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> with Andromeda of, of um, you know, like, oh, just I don't I totally lost my train of thought. I just I, it really bothers me because people get mad at Andromeda because they're like, it's not anything like the trilogy. It's like, yeah, that's the point. If they tried to mimic the trilogy's formula with another Commander Shepard, all people would have ended up doing is comparing them to Commander Shepard. And we all have Mm. years and years and years of loyalty to that character that there's no... You could have made on paper the best character in the world with no flaws, universally perfect, and people would have still thought that they didn't compare to Commander Shepard. And Bioware knew that, so they're like, let's not even try. We're going to come up with basically the antithesis to Shepard, which is writer, the more realistic, you know, the the realistic versus expectation type shit. And they did that. And I feel like they made the right choice. If they didn't, they were going to shoot themselves in the foot. And people are so scared of change that it's just like, if if mm. we had this mentality 10 years ago, we would have no new games because the mentality is now mm-hmm. we can't have anything new. It has to be something this. But then when it's some, like something else, people are like, well, that's just trying to copy. And it's like, be happy. Right. Take the game. Play the game. Make an opinion after the game is done. Like, shut shut up. <laughs> like, give things. Let developers make mm. the game. Give them the chance to make the game they want to make. And they didn't do that. They, 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 they did, weren't given the option um, we had a couple of websites that were saying not true information and they did it for clicks and I have proof. I have receipts. Sip that tea. And it's like they don't realize like how much that actually hurts because there were these plans. But because irresponsible journalists calling out my fellow journalists is is they were very irresponsible and, and so big about chasing that clout or chasing those numbers, chasing the analytics that they did not care that you're literally messing with people's jobs. Like, I I think the biggest thing for me is because like I will tell you right now that I I don't like Andromeda. I I don't think Andromeda is a good game. But I see in in this particular like playthrough and doing this, I'm seeing a lot of where Andromeda could be a better game, where it could make that jump, where there are things here that I'm seeing that are are stuff that's really compelling for me as a Mass Effect fan, and and seeing them both like extend on from things in mass effect 3 like we talked about like the comedy the writing the the way that they just handle dialogue in general and the the way that they compose scenes and just do things in this very cinematic way is really impressive and there's the combat so much fun it feels like it's completely different from mass effect 3's combat but it, it feels better for it in my opinion and uh there are things I adamantly don't like about it. A lot of the open world stuff that happens and 
the general structure of the game, I, I think, just needs tuning. But that's that's it. That's where I come to with Andromeda, is this is a game that needed tuning. This is the Mass Effect 1 that needs that Mass Effect 2 to really show how mm-hmm. this concept can thrive, even if the first outing was not perfect. And there's a lot of this game where you can also see the Dragon Age influence. Like, it's... It's no surprise that Inquisition and Andromeda were so close together because they feel very similar in the way that they're constructed and the way they handle certain things to the to the point where I'm like, yeah, you can see a lot of Inquisition and Andromeda, the way that they influenced each other in, in so many ways. But it 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 breaks me up a little bit because I wanted I wanna see what an Andromeda 2 looks like. But at the same time, like you mentioned that's not the climate that we're in because two other series that you can kind of point to right now that are at these sorts of turning points. Uh, you have the Witcher, which just came, you know, not that long ago to a wrap. And they basically said, we're done with uh, Geralt's story. Uh, we've done all we can with the character. And it pretty much seems like for the foreseeable future, CD project red is just done with the Witcher you know, and and you have to wonder, like, could they make another game without Geralt? Could they make a game that doesn't have Geralt in it? Uh, but on the flip side, uh, the and I can never pronounce the name right now. I'm going to try, but the devs behind the Yakuza games are coming out here, and they're basically saying, like, yeah, we've made a ton of Yakuza games, and they're super popular now, so we're going to take that protagonist that all of you like, and we're going to retire him, and we're going to bring in a completely new character a new protagonist uh we're a turn-based rpg now we're not an action (laughs) game anymore and they're just going wild with it and i was i was baffled because i see that and i'm like oh that sounds great i would love to see them do that new character new area like all new you know mobs to deal with because if you play enough yakuza games you get the sense of what the pace is you know who all the major players are you you know kind of what's going on and i love kiryu kazuma he's great i love him so much but it is time for him to retire and be the the good Yakuza dad that we all know he is. And the new protagonist just seems incredible. He's a dude that's incredibly obsessed with Dragon Quest and is also a former Yakuza, which is amazing to me. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I look at that and I'm like, oh, I'm so hyped for this. This looks so good. And then I, I look at comments and they're like, I can't believe you're doing this. Why would you do this to us? We, we want Yakuza. And I'm like, if... I mean, there's a quote that I'm pretty sure has been proven was not, like, a real quote, but I'm still going to say it anyways because it's good. But I think it was from Ford who was saying that if you asked people what they wanted back when we were making the car, they would have just said faster horses. Mm. Uh, And it almost kind of feels like it's that some ways with, like, with game fandoms in general because they their answer is always, like, we just want more. We just want more of this thing. And... A, a good example from this year is like Fire Emblem Three Houses. One of the major complaints coming out of the more recent Fire Emblem games from the hardcore Fire Emblem fans was that, oh, we hate all this relationship stuff, and we hate all this like anime waifu stuff, and we hate all this multiple branching paths. We want one story. Why are you making us play different paths? And instead of listening to that, the Fire Emblem devs were just like, okay, let's like go super ham on all of this let's like really do the game we want to do and th- i'm I, like three houses is my favorite fire emblem i've played all 
almost all the U.S. release ones, and I love Three Houses. It's an incredible game, and it it, it just it's it serves as a constant reminder that I wish I wish more often we were willing to at least understand when devs want to make something that they want to make because mm. you know right now Bioware is making Anthem. And I'm not saying they don't want to make Anthem. They probably want to make Anthem, and they probably want to make it really, really well. I don't have any, like, hot insider information about that, but I imagine that people who are working on a video game want to make the best video game they possibly can. And we also need to be willing to at least see what they're doing and evaluate something on its own terms and not lump, you know, a decade worth of baggage onto every game that comes out mm. just because it bears the Mass Effect yeah. name. And that's where I'm at with Andromeda, is I have my criticisms of it. I have my reasons. But none of them have anything to do with the fact that it's a Mass Effect game. Yeah. You know? And that that's what gets frustrating at mm. the end of the day. I Eric, you know what? That. I was just gonna say, like, you know what game comes to mind when it comes to these kind of conversations? Mm. Dagon Rafa V3. Think, yeah. <laughs> Let's say Danganronpa. Everybody needs to play the very last trial of Danganronpa V3. I mean, there's there's a very good video that came out recently that I think was getting passed around the video game Twitter sphere, which was from a wrestler that was talking about toxic Mm -hmm. fandoms in wrestling. But it was so applicable to just everything because he's talking about how we're we live in an age we live in a society (laughs) Um, where we have this um people have so much access to information but they don't have knowledge you know they don't have experience with things they don't understand how any of the industry works they just have what they can find when they look on social media when they can watch all these broadcasts and so they're it creates this situation where i've had this with overwatch recently this is like my hot overwatch take is that for almost years now, Overwatch has been... I mean, God, Overwatch has been out since, like, 2016, right? Yeah, so it has been years. Um, It's been catering to that competitive mindset. And it it really wants to appease this increasingly narrow section of the player base, but I think that's to the detriment of people who want to play that game casually. I think about changes that happen to that game, like the way they changed Mercy's ult and things like that, where that seemed all well and good for a competitive balance, but it was made by... It, it was a change that seems like it was basically giving competitive players what they wanted, not necessarily what they needed. And it just creates this constant equation of you're trying to satisfy this extremely vocal crowd that wants to dictate the way that they want their games being given to them and i i'm just never a fan of that i want as someone who plays a lot of games all the time i want people to make the things that they want to make and then i will evaluate it on those terms i don't necessarily mm. want to sit here and try and order a la carte yeah know? well because we're not game developers <laughs> like they're especially okay there's one the difference between like us talking we know at least a little bit. I've worked on video games. I did some voice mm. work. I did some, you know, whatever. But I could never build a game from scratch. But then we've got these Tom, Dick, mm. and Harrys that are in the comment section of Facebook who <laughs> work at Costco, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But you don't know anything about game de- that in no way correlates to game development. But they think they know everything. They're not willing to educate themselves. They're not mm. willing willing to be educated. And those are the ones that are usually the most vocal about, well, I want this, and this isn't exactly what I want. So, rah, 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 rah. And it's just, it's so, mm. the like you said, like the climate today is not 
like this if i was a game developer i would be terrified because this is a this is mm-hmm. a climate where if they don't like your game if your game isn't game of the year worthy then they're like calling for your studio to be shut down like mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. are cause that, i can't post anything about bioware without people saying shut it down shut it down i can't post anything from yeah. ea or, or you know any of their properties even respawn is now finally starting to get it like respawn was a little bit safe for a while and now they're starting i'm noticing that in the comment sections of apex has played out like shut yeah. it down and yeah dead game dead game whereas you have like destiny was called dead game for years and now it's having like this huge influx of players tons of people are playing it tons of people are talking about it it's like there's it, yeah it's just frustrating it's and it's so much blind leading the blind one person just has to be angry and set a narrative and then that suddenly becomes writ that's what's happening no it's not it's not like you know some people have their opinions about a thing it's like no this is a dead game bioware's dead studio everything's gone wrong it's like you don't it's you 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 have information you don't have knowledge and there's like such a drastic difference between the two agreed um agreed well i mean everybody thought i'm sorry (laughs) no i was just gonna say on that yeah well i mean like look at bungie right now like every you could not post a destiny 2 story without i mean i don't know about you guys um but when i would post destiny 2 stories like i legitimately got like death threats i got rape threats i remember I wrote a guide when Jesus Osiris Christ. came out. Um, I wrote a, just a guide for it. And because my name is really like uniquely spelled, like it's not hard to find me. And there was actually like a right. Reddit thread where they like found my picture on Facebook and I, I moved everything to private after that. But they like, it started as a thread of she's ruining gaming. She's rooting for a dead game. Cause she's not a real gamer. And it like got to the point where there was like almost 300 comments. And then, um, for, for a guide, guide and reddit wasn't doing anything and then only reddit st- moderators stepped in when they started posting my address and like saying here she is sh- you know obviously you know making jo- like crude jokes of like raper or maybe that'll get her to lighten up and it was really fucked up things to say oh, over yeah. nothing like if you I, I just don't understand i guess like if i don't like something i don't give it any of my attention i, I focus on things i like right. so i guess i don't understand all this volatility like if you don't like it just move on like and nobody thought and now it's got they hit over 20 220,000 concurrent players at one given time like it's back in a big way but nobody thought that was going to happen but if we cave to what the general populace wanted bungie would be gone like they were calling for them to shut down right. and now they just had a hugely mm-hmm. successful launch this is way off topic i'm sorry you guys could not have me back because i don't know I, how to stay on topic just, oh no, they, they, <laughs> no that's fine i was just gonna say that's a weird outlier because you never hear of that happening on reddit ever normally otherwise completely civil place happy place <laughs> where only happy people who are extremely knowledgeable post and that's that's just bizarre <laughs> i'm being so <laughs> listener at home um yeah no no i i mean like be in this industry long enough and there will always be a threat about you somewhere and work in this industry long enough and if you don't get docs dsa oh my god (laughs) (laughs) um it's it's a it's a weird line of work that is like the weird thing that colors this this podcast all the time is that we are all people who work in the industry and we tend to have guests on that work in the in the industry so like it is we we see that stuff on a daily basis but that sort of thing is what came to define mass effect because they went from mass effect 3 which had its own special hell <laughs> of of public reaction which apparently persists to this day because i saw a oh, yeah. reset era thread go up today 
that was like, how angry are you still about Mass Effect 3's ending? Are you oh still mad? God, and the options were like, hell up. yeah, yeah. And I was like, oh my <laughs> god. god. Um, who... I was like, who out there is still like this? Apparently, random people on Reset Era. Uh, and like, and, and then that carried forward into Andromeda. And there were these massive expectations set up. And and I frequently think about... Um, there, were, there was a video. There was like a, a vlog a while back that um, Alana Pierce, formerly of, of IGN, now of Funhouse? Yeah, Rooster Teeth, yeah. Yeah, Funhouse. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, posted where she was talking about like, being a journalist and stuff it's it's a really good vlog i'd I'd recommend it because she talks about like this was right after she had left ign so she could talk a little bit more freely about all the things that happen when you're a journalist and one of the things she mentions is specifically like going to play mass effect andromeda at like the first time it was being shown and walking out of it and being like oh my god i didn't like that game and i have to be the one who tells the internet that it's not good (laughs) and it puts you in a weird situation because all of a sudden you're like okay I've got to cover this game. I've got to be honest, but also people are going to, I'm going to be, yeah, people are going to be really pissed about this. That happens <laughs> like, all the time. Or yeah. if you give a good review or if you give positive feedback for a game that's hated, mm-hmm. but like it, you're screwed. Yeah, you way. have an opinion yeah. at all. But then yeah. if you don't have an opinion, you're <laughs> a robot that's paid. Oh my God. Can we just clarify right now that paying off for reviews doesn't exist? <laughs> like that's not a thing. Yeah. That's a not, if there's Bugattis being handed out, I haven't gotten. Yeah, them yet. that's a streamers and influencers. Yes, journalists, no, and a lot of times, a, a reviewer is not even going to talk to the devs or even the PR. That's usually the editor. <laughs> so, like, even if they did say, like, "Hey, right. you really shit on our game," likelihood of the actual reviewer getting that feedback is like almost none. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, it's 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 bizarre. It's, it's another been... you got information, but you don't have knowledge. So. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's that's all. Mm. This, that'll be the, the new tagline of Normandy FM. You got information, you don't got knowledge. <laughs> I like it. Um, so I think we're not doing. So I, I guess we should make this like podcast canon official. Uh, Ken, we're not doing any thunder rapid fire questions, thunder lightning rapid fire questions for our our guest this time because I myself have not played this game and do not know how it is supposed to end or anything like that. So we don't want to spoil those, those ending choices otherwise. But um, I guess we've already talked a little bit about romances that your favorite uh, is Leanna is like Reyes and that sort of stuff. But was there anything else about Andromeda that just, while we have you that just stuck out to you, like a favorite moment or something like that, that you want to like share with the audience? Hmm. That's a good question. Um, I will say uh, one of the romances I really liked too was Gil. Hell yeah! <laughs> I'm so happy that you're here. <laughs> and Welcome. <laughs> she got like a dossier before this. She was like, "Okay, can I like, Gil? like here, here are my boyfriends. Say nice things about them." I just, I, I just really, I like him because you know, a lot of times I feel like a lot of games they handle, you know, gay romances. It's either mm. almost treated as an afterthought. Or purely fan service. And I really mm. liked with Gil, like, I love, you know, and I hated it because a lot of times people, a lot of people's feedback about him was, oh, he's so needy. It's like, it's not unnecessary or unheard of for a person in a committed relationship to think about kids and to think right. about marriage. And the fact that right. they implemented that during his romance, it really meant a lot. Like, 
um, you know, I remember when I yeah, was I mean, growing up and trying to like figure out, you know, I dated a girl and, and, you know, figuring out my own sexuality, having games that pose realistic mm. relationship viewpoints, it helps you. It helps you figure out your own life and, and where you are at. Yeah. And for them to portray that in a very realistic as a partnership, um, I thought that was I, I thought that was really cool and and they you know I don't think they handled the surrogacy thing perfectly but the fact that yeah, they it's, even yeah. it was wrong like, it was only, rushed <laughs> yeah yeah and but I mean like the only instance in any of the Mass Effect games that you actually like have a child is the gay romance like I think that's so like mind boggling I, I wouldn't have even thought that was possible Mass Effect one time like damn yeah I I really that. That was to me was incredible, and it wasn't a rushed romance. It wasn't like, oh, let's talk about kids. Okay, back to Bone Town. Like it was this like heartfelt. Yeah. Like you could tell, like the character thought that if this conversation doesn't go the way I hope it goes, like our relationship is done. And yeah. I thought that was really I, I respected that a lot. Um, and yeah, I just I, for me, I really overall I just really liked writer's growth. You you really grew with the character when they first took on the role of Pathfinder, they you, they were terrified. They were scared to speak up. They kind of took whatever anybody told them. And at the end, they were comfortable setting boundaries. They were comfortable saying no and, and saying where to go. And I, I don't know. I, I think that's a very underappreciated aspect of Andromeda that yeah. I think that once you know that, and then if you go into another play... Actually, what made me think about like Reyes, because I didn't like Reyes's character the first time I played, what actually made me like Reyes was a fan fiction and yeah. they recounted all of the missions, but through a very critical eye where it, they pointed out details I didn't know. And I was like, Oh, I didn't even mm. notice that. I didn't even notice that, but they were providing nuance with those details. So I wanted to go in and play it. And that's actually what happened to me with Caden too. But they, they, with that nuance, I was like, Oh, I understand this character more. And mm. with that, I feel like the people that didn't relate to any of these characters, those people that are like, all the characters are boring. I'm like, I don't think you paid attention then because yeah. Andromeda is definitely one of those games where the devil is in the details. So if you're rushing through right. it just to the main campaign, you're going to miss a lot of that. And, you know, they're saying there's no relation to the Mass Effect 3 or the Mass Effect trilogy. It's like, well, if you complete the memory sequence, a, a lot of people thought it bugged out because you can't get the final puzzle piece until after you beat the game. So a lot of people thought that that quest line bugged. Uh, but mm. you get to hear more of Liara. Like you get to hear a little bit of Liara throughout. But you hear Shep what happened to Shepard. You hear the end result, which was really cool. And then with even with Eos, if you actually take the time to complete Eos or do at least the most of it, you can meet Zaid's son, which was a really cool throwback. And he sounded like Zaid, so like it, you could tell instantly. And I don't know those small little details to me really, if you're paying attention, build such a beautiful picture. And I mm. feel like that oftentimes gets overlooked because as a whole, right. if you're looking at one big picture rushed, then yeah, it's it's a, like you said earlier, it's an, it's an incomplete picture because it wasn't meant to be complete. It was meant to be the introductory chapter to an entirely new franchise. It is one of those games that like you get what you, you get out of it what you put in. And that is like, it takes like a, you know, a very dedicated person to see all of that, but I I'm a person that feels like it's all worth seeing. 100%. Uh, I, that is something that I, I would encourage anybody that's going into playing Mass Effect Andromeda for the first time or is willing to give it a shot when maybe they were on the fence about it is just take your time with it. If you start getting fed up, just walk away. Don't put it, you know, don't shelve it completely. Just, 
you know, and, and also Eos is the hinterlands of Andromeda. It's it's mm. it seems endless <laughs> and it seems bountyless, but there is a purpose, and a lot of those side quests do build up to a bigger picture too. So, um, but just go into it knowing it's not, compared to Mass Effect One, not Mass Effect trilogy, and go into it knowing it's a new experience. It's meant to be. They writer reads awkward. Good, you got the picture then, because writer's meant to be awkward. <laughs> like, congratulations, you mm. you got the basic vision for that character. Yeah, so it's give it a chance. Go in, even if you have to approach it from it's not even a Mass Effect game; it's just a space game. Whatever, do it. Um, and then I would also recommend like definitely do the memory sequence for the memory shards because that the payoff it's arduous and you don't get it completed until you beat the entire game, but it, the payoff is definitely worth it. That is a nice way to put a little bow on all this. Thank you so much, <laughs> Leanna, for coming on. It was an excellent episode. We're so happy to finally have you on here. It's yeah. about damn time. We Thank you for having me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I was supposed to. I think I was actually signed up for uh, an episode. I think about Garrus, actually, or somebody. It was something with Mass Effect Trilogy. I think and at I, some point yeah, we, we, we had, had something in the works yeah. and then, then had to audible, but I'm glad that we finally got you on. Again, listeners who are tuning in, this episode's a little bit late in the week, but that's because all of our lives are super busy because we did not anticipate Andromeda running right into freaking review season o'clock for all of us <laughs> journalists here. <laughs> so we've had to... Uh, We've had to roll with the punches, but I just want to throw a thank you out to all the excellent patrons who keep us going every week, who keep the lights on around here, who pay those pesky, pesky SoundCloud bills. Uh, and especially a special thanks to Ruben, one of our big donors who did donate to that amount to get that special name shout out. If you want one, you can head over to patreon.com slash normdfm. Help support us. Help us get there. We're kind of close to Dragon Age. If we get to Dragon <gasps> yeah. Age, we're going to have to play all the Dragon Ages. <gasps> you have to and invite me back for Dragon Age, please. <laughs> and that's like one tier. That's one tier for all of them. Because Ken and I are idiots. <laughs> and... Speak for yourself, my dude. <laughs> if you guys ever do a Dragon Age, like, seriously, I have a Dragon Age. I actually have a Mass Effect page, too. It's the Mass Effect Fan Collective, which is on Facebook. And then Dragon Age is Lavellan Status. Like please, I I I don't know what it is about Dragon Age, but I like I spiritually connect to it. Like oh my god, most of this podcast has actually been us. Then also looking back at Dragon Age a little bit because I feel like we've talked a lot about Dragon Age two in particular throughout (laughs) this retrospective. I have thoughts. Uh, to the, to the point where I've been kind of going, like, maybe I need to replay Dragon Age 2. <laughs> Dragon Age 2 uh, Spicy Take is my favorite in the trilogy. I, I mean, I've I've heard that from people, and, and that seems... It's like your fi- it's like when your favorite Final Fantasy is Final Fantasy 8. There are people out there who 8 just gave them something that none of the other Final Fantasies ever will be able to. It's the same thing with Dragon Age 2. There are some things that that game does that are just incredible that no other Bioware game has done. Way ahead of its time. A hundred percent. If they would have just Ugh. gotten the environmentals nailed down, mm. oh, we we can't talk because I'll go into a whole tangent. Oh yeah! <laughs> if you want to hear that discussion, you gotta head over to Patreon.com/slash/NormityFM. Start supporting us. Start giving us that cash to get there. Otherwise, <laughs> this train's gonna hit the end of the station. You're gonna be wondering what 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 could have been. Can't do that. Can't have that happen. And if you want to follow the show, you can head over to twittercom slash show where we keep all the updates going. And Ken sometimes posts memes there. And <laughs> 
we have fun with it. I, I have had a total of one meme on there, and it was a good one, so I'm going out on a high note. I've done my one good meme. <laughs> Just stop while you're ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. A uh, little bit of scheduling note. For next week, we should be back to our normal uh, publication time and date. And our guest for next week, when we talk about Vetra, who else could we bring on to talk about the Turians? Then returning guest, Natalie Flores. She's got to come back. We've got more Turians. She's got to be here to talk about all the hot Turians. It's it's her brand. She's just cemented that brand on this show. So we had to have her back. Come on. Love it. For Leanna, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for, for joining us. For Ken, for myself. We'll see you all next week on Normandy FM. Yeah, thanks.